Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's message. Our hope with this content is that it would help you come to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. If you're grateful for this word, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and also you can partner with what Jesus is doing here at Elevate City through giving. There's a link below for that as well. Here's today's message. I can't wait for you to hear it. I don't know about you, but I've loved this collection of talks that we've been in titled Jesus People. And I really believe that we'll look back years from now and say that this was a foundational season for our church. And so if you're new to the story, I just wanna encourage you to hop online, go back and binge those messages because what we've been doing is we've been trying to infuse Elevate City DNA into the life of our church. We've been trying to catch those of you who are new up on who we are and what we believe and Elevate City language and culture and vision and values values and why we started this thing in the first place. And so if you missed the message, make sure to go back and watch online because today we're going to bring that collection of talks to a close and we're going to do it with what I believe is potentially our most important value. I have like a great sense of expectation for today. I have this desire within me for today to shift our picture of church. I hope today you get a picture for your life that is maybe different than the picture of your life that you had before. I pray today, I've been praying that today messes with you. I've been praying that today would like haunt you, that it would be a message that kind of wakes you up in your sleep and that causes you to be maybe a little uncomfortable and frustrated and walk with a limp the rest of the day. I've been praying that today that you would get a vision for your life that is beautiful and that is worthy and that is thrilling and that is satisfying and that is so much bigger than the Disneyland version of the American dream that you're sold each and every day. I pray that your understanding of what it means to be a Jesus person gets stretched today. I pray that your picture of church gets challenged today. And I pray that we together put a stake in the ground and determine that so long as we call ourselves a church, that we will abide by the value that we talk about today. In uh, 2017, a group of missions organizations, one of which we sponsor, got together and established that today, Pentecost Sunday, would be formally known as the International Day for the Unreached. Today has been rebranded and dubbed the International Day for the Unreached. Now, let me tell you what that means. An unreached people, and this definition is going to come up on the screen, is a group of people where there is no indigenous community of Christians with adequate numbers or resources to evangelize their people group without outside help. I'm going to read that one more time. An unreached people is a group of people or a people group where there is no indigenous community of Christians with adequate numbers or resources to evangelize their people group without outside help. Now, there is some debate amongst missiologists, which are just people who study global missions, about the percentage that you have to fall in in order to be classified an unreached people group. But most missiologists would agree that somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 to 5%, if, a, if an indigenous people group is less than 3 to 5% Christian, then they are considered unreached. Now, let me give you some staggering, some shocking statistics. One, one, the percentage of dollars given by Christians that actually goes to reaching unreached people groups. One percent of every dollar that is given to, 
by a Christian goes to reaching people in unreached people groups. Five, five, the percentage of full-time Christian workers who are working among unreached people groups, only 5%, 42, the percent of unreached people groups in the world today, 86, 86, the percent of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists who have never met a Jesus follower, 86%. People who practice those three religions have never met a person who say they follow Jesus. 7,419. The number of unreached people groups out of 17,468 in the world today. 160,000. The number of non-believers who die every single day entering eternity without Jesus as their savior the radically shocking one, three billion. The number of people who have never heard the name of Jesus and if who things continue for will be born, live and die without ever hearing the gospel. So let me ask you, what would Jesus people do about that? Jesus' people would recognize that they have been called, commissioned, and commanded to courageously go. To courageously go, to step in, to step out, and to step up. I want to close this uh, collection of talks to Jesus' people out the same way that the gospel writer of Matthew ends his account of Jesus' life. If you look at Matthew chapter 28, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And um, the, uh, Matthew compiles an account of Jesus' life. And this is what he says are the last words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came to them. And said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus just raised the stakes, y'all. Like Jesus just elevated the conversation. Like you need to know this. Not all Bible verses are created equal, okay? Like there are some that are massively more important than others. And I'm gonna say that Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's like top three, okay? It is one of the most important verses in all of scripture. If you've never memorized scripture before, I would encourage you to start in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let that be the first one that you hide on your heart. Let that be the first one that you get seared into your soul. Let that be something that guides you and that drives you because this is Jesus' final words, all authority, Jesus says. This is, he says, there isn't anywhere that you can find anyone with more authority than me. Jesus is saying, I came from heaven. I walked the earth. I conquered death. I defeated hell. I conquered the devil. I put Satan in his place. I've got all of the authority in heaven and on earth. You can't find anybody who's got more authority than me. That's what Jesus is saying in this moment. He's trying to let his disciples know that he has the final say, that he renders the supreme verdict, that in and of himself, he makes the rules. And it's not just some authority. You see that, right? He says like all authority, big and small, every ounce of it belongs to me. It's not some authority or most authority. It's not temporary authority or just spiritual authority. It's all authority, authority over bosses, authority over spouses, 
authority over politicians, authority over parents, authority over government agencies, authority over the UN, authority over the border patrol, even authority over oneself. Jesus has all authority. This is like the cosmic trump card, y'all. He is going, pay attention. Listen to what I'm getting ready to say. This is so important. There's nobody anywhere who can challenge my authority. And what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to raise the stakes for the disciples. He's trying to make sure, he's trying to ensure that they never get to a point where they begin to believe that something somebody else says has more significance than what he's about to say. He's going, I don't want for you to look back at what Abraham said or what Moses said or what some rabbi said and think that that's more important. I don't want for you to look back at the old covenant or the Old Testament and believe that that's what your life is about. I don't want for you to think about the Ten Commandments, morality and humanity and think that that's what you're supposed to be living for. I don't want for some new hip rabbi to come along in 2022 with an Instagram account and convince you that you should be living for something else. I want for you to know that this is what you're supposed to live for, that this is what you're supposed to die for, that this is the substance, that this is the reason that you're on the planet. And this is what he says. He says it vindicated by the fact that he just got up out of the grave. Like, think about that. Think about what's just happened because this is after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. So he goes, check it out. I just resurrected from the dead. I just defeated death. You remember that I was like gone. I was lifeless, breathless. I was laid in a tomb. Everybody left me, but here now I am standing with holes in my hand to prove that I defeated death and to tell you that I've got authority over this thing called life. And so this is what I want for you to do. Go, go therefore, if you're like holy enough to write in your Bible, underline that word, go, highlight it, circle it, go there for meaning move, journey, trek, explore, get going, disperse, leave, spread out, take this with you, don't stay put. This word go, it opposes stagnation. It opposes consolidation. It opposes comfort. It opposes just being comfortable and hunkering down and waiting for Jesus to come back. It says, no, you must go. There must be movement. You can't just maintain, go and do what? Make disciples. Once again, underline that word, make disciples. Highlight it, make disciples. And disciples are like students. They're like pupils, they're like followers or imitators or a modern word would be apprentices. They're people who know Jesus and who follow Jesus and who try to live in Jesus' way of life. Jesus is going, I want for you to take what I've done with you for the last three years and the way that I've taught you to think different and the way that I've taught you to talk different and the way that I've informed your understanding of life and death and heaven and hell and marriage and money and sex and time and pleasure and the kingdom and take all these truths that I've given you and take all this time that I've spent with you, all this mentoring that I've done, and go do that with other people. Make little me's, people who think like me and love like me and sound like me and live like me, people who live with my priorities and who are surrendered to my kingdom. Go and make disciples. And I love what one pastor says about making disciples. It's always struck with me. He says, you are either making disciples or you're making excuses. Which one are you doing? You're either making disciples or you're making excuses because Jesus said it's not an option. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. 
for us to go and to make disciples. And we must make disciples. We're a discipleship-driven church, if you didn't know it. It's the reason that we do base camp and that we do equip and that we do groups. And if you ever go through base camp, you will hear me say this. I say this at every base camp. Hey, if you have to decide whether or not you can come on Sunday morning and uh, hear me preach or you go to a group where you're being discipled, go to a group where you're being discipled. Like if you got to pick between the two, pick that one. But the truth is you should be able to do both or you're way too busy and your kids probably aren't going to go to the NBA. I'm just going to like break that to you right now, right? So like adjust your, and do both, right? Like that's, but if you can't get discipled, we are discipleship driven church. But, but here's where it's most relevant for us today. I don't want for you to miss this part. Of all nations, underline that, of all nations. Nations. Now, I don't like to do this. I don't like to do this whole, in the Greek, it says this, because what it does is it just lets y'all know that I'm smarter than you. And I don't always wanna let you guys in on that. No, I'm just kidding. What it actually does is it creates this chasm between you and me, which I really hate. It makes people feel like when pastors go, well, in the Greek, it says this. It makes you think that somehow the Bible wasn't like interpreted correctly and that I have these like special set of skills that allows me to understand the Bible, but you peasants can't, okay? And uh, what I think that does is that I think it erodes in your mind this desire to read the Bible. And I want for you to know the Bible is translated great and you can read it and understand it fully for yourself. However, there are some times that understanding it just makes it more richer. It doesn't change it. It just brings out a deeper meaning of it. And, and here, this idea of nations, it, it, in the Greek, it would be panta to ethne. Panta to ethne. And here's the reason that that is so important. When most people hear ethne or nations, they think countries. But Jesus, when he spoke this, when he said these words, they weren't countries the way that we understand them today. The nation state is an invention of the modern era. And in Jesus' day, there were groups of peoples and there were empires. There were tribes and there were empires. And so Jesus spoke of peoples, of all peoples. So today there are 195 countries in the world. There are over 17,000 different people groups. People who speak different languages, have different dialects, have their own culture, own customs, own way of life, 17,000. I love the picture of this that's fulfilled in heaven in Revelation chapter seven. Look at this, I love this so much. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne into the lamb. Do you see that picture? Like that's a flash forward to where all of humanity is headed, to where this whole story is going. That in the end, there are people from every tribe and language and tongue and people group in heaven worshiping the living God. And I love the fact that it says that there is a great multitude that no one can number. So like, if you don't like a church that's crowded, if you don't like a church that's crowded, you're probably not gonna like heaven, okay? because heaven's gonna be crowded, full of people bursting at the seams. And it's not just gonna be white people. It's gonna be people of all different colors and backgrounds and ethnicities, which means that when we get to heaven and we start worshiping, it's not just gonna be one white dude up here with an acoustic guitar, okay? Chris Tomlin ain't gonna be leading the show. There's gonna be all sorts of instruments. There's gonna be that Chinese instrument, ding, 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 ding. They're gonna be like bagpipes, 
There are gonna be all sorts of instruments. It also means that the buffet line is going to be delicious, okay? It means there are gonna be way more than just like mashed potatoes and gravy in heaven. You're gonna have some egg rolls, you're gonna have some fried rice, you're gonna have some cat on a stick, right? Just all the different things that people eat around the world. It's gonna be there in heaven because there's all tribes, all peoples, all languages worshiping the living God. Back to Matthew. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And for the last 2,000 years, this is what Jesus' people have been doing. You cannot miss this today, church. When Jesus left his people, he did not leave them with a religion. He left his people with a mission, a mission to go and to make disciples. This has been the primary objective of Christianity. The mission of Jesus' people is to spread the Jesus movement to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. Matthew 24, verse 14 says it like this, and of this gospel of the kingdom, it will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Our job is not over until the whole world hears, until everybody knows. A lot of people the last couple of years have been um, asking if Jesus was going to come back soon. Like if I thought that, you know, with COVID and with wars and with rumors of wars and with this and with that, if Jesus would come back soon. And, you know, the scriptures do say that he's going to come like a thief in the night and that nobody knows the hour that he is going to come. However, we know that he is not going to come until every person has heard that there is someone from 7,000 different people groups who have yet to hear. And until at least one of them have placed their hope in Jesus, I know he ain't coming back till that happens. I love the way that Oswald J. Smith says it. He says, we talk of the second coming. Half of the world has never heard of the first Half of the world has never even heard that he came the first time, that there's a way to be forgiven of sin, to be made right with God, to have your debt canceled, to be in relationship with your creator. Half the world has never heard of the first coming. No way Jesus is coming back yet. This is what Jesus' people are supposed to live for. This is what Jesus' people have been willing to die for. For the advancement of the gospel, for the spread of the kingdom unto the nations, unto the ends of the earth. I want to be very, very clear today. When it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission in the context of global missions, you and I, we have three options. You have three options today. You can go, you can send, or you can be disobedient. You can go. You can send or you can be disobedient. Doing nothing is not an option. And I believe with everything inside of me today that some of you are called to go. You weren't prepared for it when you walked in today. You didn't know that it was going to happen, but this is the way that God's been doing it for the last 2,000 years. Jesus' people have quit jobs and they have packed bags and they have bought tickets and they have sold homes. They have said goodbye to friends and family and they have been sent out to see Jesus worshiped where he is yet to be even named. It's been happening. People have come into services much like this one thinking that they were going to walk out with the same life and the same patterns and the same job and the same priorities and the same mission. And they left 
going, I must surrender my life to the call of Jesus to proclaim him among the nations. And I believe some of you are called to go today. I believe that God has placed that in your heart I believe that it's what he made you for, what he created you for. I believe that you're not here today on accident, but on purpose to be sent out among the nations for the glory of his name. I really agree with Jonathan Hayashi in his book, Ordinary Radicals. He says this, he says, I'm convinced that the greatest need of the church today is more men, women, boys, and girls who have abandoned their dreams who have laid aside their possessions and treasures at the feet of the cross and have risen up to be disciples and to multiply the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what the church needs. Some of you need to go, you need to get out of here. You need to get on a plane. We want to have a going away party for you. We want to send you out of this church. Everybody's just trying to get people to come to their church. We're trying to send people out of this church into the world to make Jesus famous. We don't wanna be as concerned with filling the seats of this church as we are with sending people to live out the call that God has placed upon their life. It's beautiful. What some of you probably feel like is happening in your heart right now is you're like, dude, I think it's me. I think it might be me. He might be talking to me today. And I just want for you to know that's beautiful. And you might not even know why. You might not feel like you know how or where or what or who or when. And that's where we come in. But it is beautiful. It is beautiful that you feel that call. And the reason that you feel that call is because of Romans 10. Verse 13, that says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's beautiful. And listen, I know that today some of you might be wrestling and you might want some answers to complex theological questions like what happens to people who never hear and we can absolutely create space for that but I'm always much more concerned with what happens to those who know about this news and never go and tell someone else that's what I'm concerned about that's what I want to know what happens to us who know but don't do anything about it listen this is the way that God has set it up <laughs> He has not set up his gospel to spread, his movement to expand it, Jesus' people to multiply by sending spaceships. He has done it by sending missionaries, by sending everyday ordinary radicals who have fallen so deeply in love with Jesus that they are willing to pour out their lives for the fame of their name, who are willing to courageously step in, to bravely adventure, to go and make disciples. How do you know if you're called to go? How do you know? How would you know? I mean, there's not a perfect science to it, to be completely honest. It's not always black and white. It's not always very clear or anecdotal. I could tell you the way that I knew I was called to preach. I was in a service much like this and there was a guy preaching and he was just preaching in a way that I'd never heard preaching before. Like I heard people kind of get up here and kind of give a little talk before and made me want to fall asleep and then I kind of went on with my life. But you know, this dude got up here and he was just bringing it. I was like, it seemed like he believed it with every fiber of his being and he was funny and he was compelling and he made me think and he said things that offended me and I was like, I want to do that someday. I want to stand on stage and offend people for Jesus' name, right? 
And there was just this, there was just this desire boiling up within me that I wanted to do that. And, and so I really, I remember I went down front and I got on my knees and I had, at the time I was in sixth grade and I was wearing a Hawaiian shirt with bleach blonde tips because I wanted to look like the rapper Eminem, okay? And I had those like zip off jean pants, short things. Y'all remember those? It was very utilitarian where it was like, it's hot outside. No, now it's cold. And you could just, I, I loved it. And I took those and I walked down and I prayed and I'm praying. And the whole time that I'm praying, I just hear Ronnie Hill, Ronnie Hill, Ronnie Hill, Ronnie Hill. And I surrender my life to that call and I just couldn't shake it. And, and the reason that I knew, knew that I, I, I was called is because I woke up the next day and I still couldn't shake it. And then I started to have people come alongside me as I started to talk about it. And they're like, yeah, I think that this is what God made you for. And so that burning in your chest, do not mistake that for the breakfast burrito you had this morning or just emotion. That may very well be the Holy Spirit chasing after you right now. I wanna read you a couple of uh, quotes from those who've gone before us. Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. C.T. Stud. If the Great Commission is true, our plans are not too big. They're way too small. Pat Morley. If you found a cure for cancer, wouldn't it be conceivable to, wouldn't it be inconceivable to hide it from the rest of mankind? How much more inconceivable to keep silent the cure from the eternal wages of death? Dave Davidson. If I had 1,000 lives, I'd give them all for China. Hudson Taylor. I have but one candle of life to burn and I would rather burn it in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Keith Flinker. No one has the right to hear the gospel twice while half the world hasn't heard it once. Oswald J. Smith. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott. If commissioned by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? David Livingstone. Never pity missionaries. Envy them. They're where the real action is, where life and death, sin and grace, heaven and hell converge. Robert C. Shannon. Surely there can be no greater joy than that of saving souls, Lottie Moon. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, the Apostle Paul, Romans 15, 20. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus, John 20, 21. Listen, you know that none of us would be here if somebody didn't courageously go and bring the gospel to us. You know the gospel didn't start in America, right, people? You know that this isn't where Jesus came, that this isn't where this movement began. We are here because somebody left their home, 
They left their land, they left their family and their comfort and they brought the gospel to us or to our ancestors. And, and now it's our turn. It's our turn to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, through Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. The mission isn't over until the whole world hears. And some of you, I really believe, absolutely, you're called to go. Now, let's be real. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty today. If I could be totally honest, my bags ain't packed. My house ain't for sale. And I don't have any tickets anywhere other than to Florida, okay? And so there's got to be another option. Although I think that some of us are called to go, those of us who are called to stay must be involved in sending. We must be involved in sending to raise up and to push out and to equip and to support and to resource. In uh, Acts chapter 13, we see the first record of a church sending out missionaries. Acts chapter 13, verse two says this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them out. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church in Antioch. They're worshiping and praying and they sense the Holy Spirit saying to them that they're supposed to go. And so a group of people who are supposed to stay, pray for them, lay hands on them, commission them, resource them and send them out. And if you read this, you will see that they continue to support them and walk alongside them and champion them. And some of you are supposed to go to the nations and some of you are supposed to stay here and just go next door. Some of you are supposed to stay here and go next door. You're not supposed to go because you're supposed to, you're planted exactly where you're supposed to be and you need to grow where you're planted, make disciples where you are. You need to be bold in your neighborhood and on your campus and with your family and with your friends. And God has strategically placed you exactly there to have impact. But that does not, that does not in any way, shape or form eliminate your responsibility to be a part of global missions, of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. You've gotta be involved in sending those who are supposed to go. Going is so hard, so difficult. It's the reason that it's so inspiring and challenging. It's the reason that when I said there was another option, a lot of you guys were like, woof, because it's hard, it is difficult, it is demanding. And so, if it is that demanding, if it is so demanding that a lot of us are like, gosh, please don't call me, please don't call me, please don't call me, then we better help those who are called, amen? We better equip and resource and come alongside and stand in their corner and give them what they need to be successful. We must be involved in sending. And so I wanna give you some just very practical ways that we as a church can be involved in sending. The first is I think that you can learn. You can learn. We learn so much pointless information, don't we? Like, I don't wonder about anything anymore. If I have a question, I'm not like, hey, who was the shortstop in 1992? For the, who, I don't care. I just look at Google, right? Like, any information, like, what is, what is cotton made of? Oh, cotton, okay? Like, I just look at Google. I don't wonder about anything. I'm just always learning this pointless information. What if you took some time to not, like, binge Netflix or learn pointless stuff, but you learned about global missions, you read the biography of a missionary. You learned about Adoniram Judson or you read a book like When Helping Hurts or Let the Nations Be Glad or you uh, watched uh, The End of the Spear, a documentary on Jim Elliott taking the gospel to an unreached people group. What if, what, what if you did something like that? What if you just started to learn about global missions? What if you started to learn about the mission, missionaries that our church supports? And what if you got on their prayer lists? 
And what if you took them out to lunch or to coffee or to breakfast or you had them over in your home and you got to hear the stories of what it's like and how you could be helpful and how you could be engaged? What if you just committed to saying, if I'm not going to go to the world, I'm going to learn as much as I can? Because as you learn, your heart will start to beat fast to it. And as these statistics get names and you realize that these names have stories and families and people who are dying without ever having a chance to meet Jesus, you start to step up and do something about it. What if you, what if you started to learn? Another thing that we can all do absolutely without a doubt is we can pray. We can pray. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 says this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, I need you to know this. Prayer is not a subset of the mission. Prayer is the mission. The call of God, when he looks at the harvest and he goes, yeah, there's so much work to do. So what do we do? We pray. He doesn't first say go. He goes, pray. Look, there's so many people who need to be reached. There's so many unreached people who've yet to hear. There are billions of people out there. So what do we do? Do we all just go real quick? No, we pray first because we know that as we pray, God begins to move and it is God who builds his church. It is Jesus who begins to act. So when you don't know what to do, you pray. And I want to tell you this, start to do this. When you don't know what to pray, pray for global missions. When literally you're like, praying for dinner or you're praying with your kids before bed or before you go to bed or when you wake up or you're just in a rut in your prayer life. Just start praying for the unreached people groups of the world. Start praying for missionaries who are on the ground. Start praying for the persecuted church. Start praying for people who are risking their lives to do what we get to freely do today. Like just literally go, God, give me a heart for the nations. Expand my perspective. Pray. I've just got a couple of like people groups to just like challenge you. Pray for the Shaka people in Bangladesh, the largest unreached people group in the world of some 129 million people who practice Islam and of whom not one, not one, so far as we know, knows Jesus. 129 million people. Pray for the spread of the gospel in Japan where there are 120 million Buddhists and only 1% Christian. Pray for the Shamar, the Yadav, and the Brahmin in India, where there are 127 million Hindus and less than 1% Christian. Pray for the Han Chinese, 36 million of whom worship ethnic tribal religions and only 3% are Christians. Pray for the spread of the gospel in Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world. Pray for Somalia and Kenya and Morocco, for the Central African Republic, for Egypt, for South Africa. Pray for the glory of God to expand in Afghanistan and Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. Pray for the gospel to spread to the Middle East and Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Syria and Lebanon and Jordan in the places where Jesus used to be worshiped, but now where worshipers of Jesus are persecuted. Pray for the spread of the gospel in Europe and in Belgium and in Ireland and Scotland and Spain, the places where they don't think they need God. Pray for the spread of the gospel in Russia and in China and in North Korea. Pray, beg God to move in the places around the world where there are real people who are really dying and going to a real hell because they don't know the real savior. I love this quote, in our lifetime, wouldn't it be sad if we spent more time washing dishes or swatting flies or mowing the yard or watching television than praying for world missions? Wouldn't it be sad if you got to the end of your life and when you looked at the account of how you spent your time, there was more time watching Netflix than there was begging God to do a work in the world amongst global missions? That's so convicting for me because I watch a lot of Netflix. 
Another way that we can do it is we can give. The Great Commission will not be fueled with our spare time or our spare money. It is not just for our leftovers. I really believe that the opportunities for using financial resources to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth is at an all-time high. The Western church is richer than we could have imagined. There is more money in the institution of the church than we could conceive. We've been positioned to actually be able to get the gospel to the ends of the earth with the resources that we have. The question is what we're going to do with it. What we're going to do with it. You are not good at your career on accident. You didn't get that degree on accident. You're not good at making money on accident. God gave you that gift. He equipped you with those skills to raise you up and to use that to spread his fame to the ends of the earth. Some people are called to go. Some people are equipped with the ability and the resources to help send. Elevate City, we are called to go, to courageously go, and we want to be the kind of church that is running into places that other people are running out of. Like every church is called to go on the planet. We're the kind of church that believe that Jesus' people are called to courageously go, to step into other things that ain't nobody else want to step into, to really push back darkness, to go to the difficult places and the difficult people and do the difficult things. And I want to tell you a little bit today about the way that that works itself out here and um, what you're going to be able to experience in the lobby today. Um, the first one is Envision Atlanta, and Envision Atlanta is one of the organizations that we partner with. You guys got to meet Hillary earlier in our service today, and she's one of the missionaries that we support there in Clarkston. And Clarkston, Georgia, is a haven for refugees from all over the world. There are 13,000 people from over 40 nationalities speaking 60 different languages that call Clarkston home. And it's only 20 minutes from here. We have a group of people who... Uh, come and are part of Elevate City Church from Clarkston each and every week. And Envision is committed to reaching the people of Clarkston through church planning, outreach, kids programs, and, and we help to support that. And uh, we've got to realize that we live in a globalized world and that the world that we live in, that the nations have been brought to us. What a gift that in our backyard, people from these unreached people groups are sitting there you don't got to get on an airplane. You don't got to raise support. You don't got to do a thing except for hop in the car, drive down the street, show up and say, I'm available. I'm available. And there are opportunities for you to be able to support, for you to be able to um, be there every single week. There are opportunities on Friday night with kids youth group, on Tuesday night with uh, or uh, with uh tutoring um, throughout the week with mentor programs, with kids outreach. There's so many ways for you to be able to get involved serving the nations right here that all of us can engage in. And so, man, please go talk to Hillary today. Stop by our table, figure out ways that you can get involved. I'm convicted. I wanna be more engaged in this. I wanna show up for it more often. Compassion International. Compassion International is an organization that focuses on releasing kids from poverty in Jesus' name. They work holistically through the local church. And in a total, Compassion has facilitated over 1.9 million child sponsorships. Um, Elevate City and Stone Creek, our Milton campus, um, together over the last 22 years, have sponsored more Compassion Kids than any other church in the state of Georgia. And uh, this past fall, together, we got to actually plant a church in Chinadega, Nicaragua, and sponsor over 200 kids who were in that village and a part of that church. 
And um, if you've never stepped in to sponsor a kid before, that is like the, just the tip of the iceberg. It's a great starting point. And you can stop by our outreach table today and you can figure out ways that you can do that. And I also wanna let you know that as soon as Compassion begins to travel, we're going to start taking trips to Chinadega, Nicaragua to invest in that church and bring the gospel to the kids in that community. Operation Mobilization or also known as OM. OM is uh, fighting to start vibrant communities of Jesus followers amongst the least reached. In order to reverse the trajectory of the unreached, OM aims to be a catalyst, this is so inspiring, to see 25,000 new vibrant communities of Jesus followers being launched every year by the year 2030. They just want to litter the world with these little communities of light, these small churches, these different expressions of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Due to the decline of Christianity, Belgium is one of the most unchurched countries in Europe. Out of the 581 districts in Belgium, 382 have no church whatsoever. We have partnered with OM to see a church planning movement multiply across Belgium. Belgium is one of the most secular uh, countries in the entire world. They lead the way on so many issues that are so dark and broken. It is uh, where the EU is, and so it's a center of community transformation, and we want to go and be missionaries in a post-Christian context. OM also has something that's called Scatter Global. And OM is gonna have a table that's set up in the lobby today. And um, Scatter Global is this incredible initiative where you may go, Joey, I could never do what you're doing up there. I could never preach. I don't wanna be a church planner. I'm not really even that good like with leading a Bible study. What Scatter Global does is it takes marketplace workers, young professionals, people with families, and they take your skill set and they match you with a job opportunity somewhere around the world. And so you don't have to become a pastor because God maybe didn't make you to be a pastor. You can be an engineer to the glory of God, be placed in a different country that's close to the gospel that actually I might not be able to get into because my passport, do you know what it says? Pastor, okay? And they don't want me there, but yours says engineer or sales or doctor or nurse and Scatter Global can place you as a marketplace worker, train you as a missionary so that you can do cross-cultural ministry. And it can be for a short period of time, for a long period of time. And you can find out about opportunities to be a part of Scatter Global with OM in the lobby today. It's an incredible, incredible opportunity. The only thing that I don't like about Scatter Global is they've stolen three staff members from our church before. So... Preparing for this uh, message got me so jacked up that um, we actually reached out to OM, our partner, and because I was just like, I gotta go, <laughs> you know? And uh, so uh, if there's enough interest, we're, uh, we've actually got an opportunity and we'll just see kind of how you guys respond today to take a trip um, very, very soon to either um, Egypt or to the Arabian Peninsula. And uh, we did not plan this. Like half of my team doesn't even know that this is a thing, right? Like it was literally this past weekend as my heart is just beating out of my chest. I'm like, we gotta go, we gotta go now. And uh, so stop by OM table in the lobby. And if you express interest and if enough of you guys are courageously wanting to go and as crazy as I am, then we might have a trip on the book soon. And uh, I wanted to close with uh, this partner and it's uh, She Is Safe. And uh, 
It's one that is just extremely near and dear to my heart. You'll hear us talk about She is Safe as much, if not more than any organization that we partner with. And um, She is Safe fights sex trafficking and the exploitation of women and girls in some of the most dangerous, high-risk parts of the world. And they do this in strategic ways, prevention, rescue, restoration, and for perspective, there are an estimated 5.6 million female slaves living in India alone. And uh, She is Safe is fighting for their freedom one girl at a time. And uh, She is Safe works in some of the most difficult, hard to reach, close to the gospel places in the world. And um, I'm not even allowed to tell you everywhere that they work or every people group that they work with because it's so dangerous, the work that they're doing, but they are, one of the best at using incredible methods to break into closed communities with the gospel, see discipleship happen and lives change. So much so that just try to wrap your mind around this. These are the people groups, the amount of people groups that She is Safe is working with. And I can't tell you their names. I can just tell you the numbers. There are 12 people groups that She is Safe is working with in the country of Nepal. There are 21 different unique people groups that She is Safe is working with in Indonesia. There are 12 people groups in a country that I'm not even allowed to say that they're working with. There are nine people groups in Mali that they're working with. There are two people groups in Myanmar. There are 10 people groups in South Sudan. And there are 62 unique people groups all across India, 130 different people groups they're bringing the gospel to each and every day. Katie Anderson, who's here today, serves as the vice president of international missions. And I've gotten the opportunity to travel with Katie and to be on the ground with her. And I always say that she's like James Bond for the gospel, okay? Because the work that she's doing is so crazy and scary and meaningful and incredible. And I'm not saying this to boast. I'm just saying this so you know that partnering with Stone Creek, our Milton campus, a couple of weeks ago, we gave Katie and She Is Safe $100,000 to fuel the work that they're doing all around the world. And so I want for you to know that when you give here, Every week, when you make a, a commitment to tithe and to put money in and to set up reoccurring giving and to sacrifice and to go without, it's not just for what you see happening in this room. It's to fund so much of what you just heard about that's happening all over the world. And that this small community of faith would step up and step in and go, we wanna, we wanna be a local church that has massive global impact all over the world. And so if you haven't gotten in on giving and on sacrificially giving to see the message of Jesus spread to the ends of the earth, I wanna challenge you to do so. And I wanna know that when you give here that it's impacting the world. It's impacting people who you will never meet, but who someday you might. The seashores of heaven, and they know that they're there because you were willing to go or you were willing to sin. One of my most important jobs as your pastor is to try to keep what's most important out in front of you. I know that this isn't the kind of message that people flock in droves to hear. I know that this isn't the sexiest sermon that we're not talking about relationships or you know stuff that you're dealing with in your family or your finances, that these aren't the kinds of messages that cool churches or hip churches necessarily preach, but 
I'm not as concerned about that as I am concerned about you actually living for what matters and trying to keep the main thing out in front of you. And I know that it's uncomfortable to think about, and I know it's a little bit of a bummer, and it feels heavy today, but this is all that's gonna matter in the end. There's a friend of mine, his name's Adam, and we used to work on staff together. And I remember one day walking into his office and he had these big numbers, 438 on his whiteboard. Just big numbers, 438. I probably walked into his office half a dozen times before I ever noticed it. And one day I asked him, I'm like, Adam, what's 438? Why do you have that number in your office? said, oh, that's the number of people that will die today in countries that are close from the gospel and that have no witness from me or you of what Jesus has done. I said, Adam, do you want to go to lunch now? (laughs) But I'll never forget that that served as this reminder for Adam and it served as a reminder for me. And today I want to give you a similar reminder. There's an organization that's called A Third of Us and who's behind this idea of the International Day for the Unreached. And churches all across the country, all across the world are having similar conversations to what we're having right now. And you may notice at the end of your uh, row that there are these Sharpies. And uh, remind us that there are a third of the population that is living without access to the gospel. This is what I want us to do today is we're gonna write three lines on our hands. It's not magical. It's just a reminder, something that can be on the forefront of our minds to go like, yes, two third of the world, no, but one third still doesn't. And what are we going to do about it? And I want these three lines to serve as a reminder for you to ask yourself the question, am I supposed to go? Am I supposed to send? Because I'm certainly not supposed to be disobedient. I also want it to serve as a reminder to pray. And so I'm going to keep mine on my hand for the next week. Count on seeing it next Sunday on my hand, three lines, and at 111 every day, get it? Three lines, 111. We're going to pray for the unreached peoples of the world. There's an app that um, we'll tell you about in the host to close because I don't have my phone on me, but there's an app that we wanna encourage you to download. And it's gonna remind you to pray for the unreached people of the world every single day. And at 111, we'll be on social media together doing that, praying and asking God, how are we called to step in, to step up and to courageously go. And so, man, as we worship, I just want for you to just have a moment with the Lord. And band's going to come and we're going to sing. And I want for you to ask yourself the question, what is my part to play? And when Jesus comes back, is he gonna find me being courageous? Is he gonna find me taking risks? Is he gonna find me living like his news is the best news that I've ever heard? Let's pray together, church. Jesus, I thank you for the truth of your gospel and I thank you for a church that is willing to courageously go. A church that refuses to play it safe. And a church that's got a bigger mindset for the world than just ourselves. God, I pray that you would use Elevate City to litter the world with communities of light. I pray that we would far exceed our greatest expectation for what we can do to the ends of the earth. 
God, I pray that you would raise up a community of people who are so selfless, who are so in love with you, who believe your gospel so deeply, who understand its urgency, and who want nothing more than to pour out their lives for the fame of your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,